Hi everyone, this is Evan with the Stride Power Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode. This one might be a little bit shorter than normal episodes. We're going to cover some listener questions that we fielded on the Stride Community Facebook forum today. Uh, to start things off, again, thank you for listening. Uh, if possible, please rate and review the show on the platform of your choice. It helps other people find the show. Uh, it just helps with the overall availability of being able to listen to the Stride Power podcast. Um, today, we're going to take some of your listener questions that we fielded from the Facebook community, the Stride community. If you search it on Facebook, if you're not a member already, it's a great place for discussion. Um, we have four questions to talk about today. I'm going to cover each uh, some a little bit more in depth, some a little bit more on the surface, talk a little bit about some planned improvements that we have and a couple things down the road, but talk about things mainly in the current landscape in regards of uh, how, how you use strides uh, addressing these questions. So the first question comes from Brian. Uh, he says, this lap last episode was great. I'm interested in knowing more about how Power Center can help me. I have no idea if the heat map is just an illustrative way to look at my training or if there is some value I can draw from it. Is there a simpler way of using RE, which is running effectiveness, to effectively evaluate my fitness? I get lost with the abbreviations and formulas. Simple is better for me. I definitely hear you, Brian. Um, I am a very, uh, w w when it comes to training, at least I'm a very simple person. I like to know what that power is I should run for that day. I like to know if I have a race, what power I should run for that race. I like to keep things very, very simple. Um, at the same time, I like to definitely explore the nuances and the uh, probably a little bit more tricky side of moving these equations all around, getting these numbers, looking at these numbers and moving them around. I like to do things in slightly different ways. But when it comes to my own training, I definitely like to keep things very simple. So um, to address your first question about the heat map, if you go to stride.com slash power center, slash improve, uh, you'll, you'll see a couple of things. Last week we talked about muscle power and muscle power is one of those three points in the, that uh, stride runner profile triangle to start. Um, we've also briefly touched on the training optimizer, which is that chart to the very right side that talks about the different types of workouts that you can do to address specific sections of your, uh, basically your running fitness, where you can gain the most based off what race you said you're training for, what distance you said you're training for, and it can kind of tell you where your training can be improved in terms of what zones to target. If you scroll down a little more, you'll be able to identify your trends. And so these are the things we talked about last week as well uh, under metabolic fitness, muscle endurance, muscle power. Then if you scroll down just a little bit more, you'll see two charts right next to each other. The, the, the first one on the left-hand side, it's a little bit taller, skinnier chart. Um, it's your plan comparison where you're training plan, how it's listed uh, on, on the training plan if you've signed up for a training plan through the Stride Power Center site versus the actual training you've done. This is just a good way to show your zone breakdown. Maybe you're running a little bit more in zone two compared to zone one. Maybe you're running a little bit too little in uh, zone four, zone five, and let's say you're targeting a 5k. You need to be doing a little bit more zone four, zone five training, and you're not doing enough uh, zone one or zone two easier running. Uh, to the right of that addresses your question. It's the training power heat map. And I'm just going to read from the little bubble here that pops up when you click on it. 
um, the orange question mark inside an orange circle, uh, the training power heat map is a visual description of your running history in terms of both intensity, which is your power, and the duration. Bright red, hot areas indicate combinations of power and duration that you frequently achieve in your training. Dark blue areas occur less often. Moving your cursor over different parts of the heat map will reveal the average power, duration, and the frequency for that range of power and duration. The orange dot will always display the maximum power that you have achieved for that given duration. This gives you a sense of what you're able to accomplish in your next race. And on its face, that's what this uh, chart is aim aiming to do. Um, it's, it's actually two charts in one, the, the first being your power duration curve. And we refer to this as your uh, top line on this training power heat map. So if you look at this uh, very, very maximal top part of your curve, it'll start pretty high, have a slight drop off, and then maybe have a large drop off, even out a little bit more, have another large drop off, settle out a little bit more. Um, everybody's is going to look different. And this is just your maximal output for that specific power at that specific duration. So on the bottom of this chart, it'll have different ranges starting, you know, from 10 seconds, going to two minutes, seven minutes, 20 minutes, 70 minutes, 120, 170, so on and so on. Um, at each of these points that you have output a maximum uh, power for a certain duration, it's going to stick a point there. And then it's going to register that as the high, obviously the highest power that you've output for that duration. This is useful because it can tell us a little bit more about your fitness in terms of uh, whether you favor a little bit shorter, higher power, uh, shorter duration, higher power, whether you, you know, kind of settle out um, as you start running longer efforts in terms of duration, you can maintain a pretty consistent power. For myself, um, I'm training for a marathon. And so typically, once my uh, training training duration gets past a certain point, I can hold it for a pretty decent amount of time. But I'm not that great at sustaining a very high power for, for a very short amount of time. Um, again, everybody is going to be different in terms of what their numbers say on this chart, so I won't get into specific numbers here. Um, the usefulness for the heat map, I think, is the, the main question here. The heat map really just shows trends over time, and you'll be able to see over time if your heat map starts to, let's say you start training for a 5K, and you had been training for a marathon for the past six months, you decide, hey, I want to get fast again. Um, I, I want to run a little bit faster. I want to um, maybe do a local park run and attack my PB. Um, you'll start to see that training uh, power heat map slightly shift up and slightly shift uh, to the left as you start to do more of these long durations or short durations, but a high power. Um, if you do the inverse, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm done with running fast 5Ks. I really want to see what I can do for a, for a marathon this next fall. You'll see your training power heat map start to flatten out and it'll maybe stretch a little bit more and it'll expand as you start doing these longer efforts. You start doing some more tempo runs, some more uh, long interval workouts, some more long runs. You'll see your training power heat map start to reflect what you're actually doing. Right now, the usefulness of this really shows just how your training is kind of plotted. It's more of a cosmetic effect. The kind of value on this training power heat map is the power duration curve and what we plot as your kind of top um, effort 
level that power output for that specific amount of time. So specifically for this question, the training power heat map is an illustrative way, just like you asked, an illustrative way of looking at your training rather than just numbers on a page. Your follow-up question here, is there a simpler way of using RE, running effectiveness, to effectively evaluate my fitness? This is a great question. Um, Stride does not currently display running effectiveness, and if you haven't heard of running effectiveness before, it is your meters per second divided by your watts per kilogram. And this ratio, this relationship between these two sets of figures uh, can be compared at certain paces, at certain efforts, at uh, certain grades, whether you're uh, running up a hill, running down a hill, running on a flat, keep running on the same surface. Um, I want to give an example here, and I believe we've talked about it before. I, I, I guess two examples. Um, let's say you're doing a critical power test, and you have, uh, you, you know, you do your critical power test. Let's just say you average 300 watts for your first um, section, and then we're doing the uh, six-lap, three-lap test. So you average 300 watts, and then you average 330 watts. And you take a look, and you notice that you run a little bit slower, obviously, for your 300-watt section for your six-lap part of your critical power test. You run a little bit faster for your 330-watt uh, section for your three laps on your critical power test. And you take a look at how fast you're running versus the actual amount of power adjusted for your weight. And this can be a trend you look at over time. I don't necessarily think that it's something to compare run over run because... Well, I guess it's only really valid if you're running on the same exact type of surface, you're running on the same exact type of grade. So if we're going to look at different race performances, let's say, you know, you go out and you do your, your same weekly 5K, it's on the same course, you can compare your meters per second, which is just your meters divided by the number of seconds, um, to get your, your pace in terms of meters per second, and then you can divide that by your watts divided by your weight in kilograms. That will give you usually somewhere between the range of 0.8 to about 1.1, 1.15. This is a pretty big range. Uh, a couple of different people have uh, written articles about this. Um, I'm, gonna, I, I'm more familiar with Steve Palladino's article um, referencing what a good running effectiveness measure is. And like I said, this can range for people if you're running a really long race. Typically, it's a little bit lower. If you're running a little bit faster race, it can be a little bit uh, higher. But if we're looking at your FTP, so your 60-minute um, racing ability, generally somewhere around 1.0 is okay. 1.05 is very good. Anything less than 1.0 means that you could definitely have some room for improvement. I don't think of things in a negative way in terms of metrics that you get from Stride. I like to think of things if you know that you have a relatively low running effectiveness. Let's say you have uh, done an FTP test, critical power test, and you found that your running effectiveness is maybe 0.95. This isn't a negative. It just means that you have a lot of room for improvement and you can actually improve quite a bit. Um, same being if you have a 5k race or you do a marathon and you notice that your watts per kilogram are sort of low or you um, start looking at your leg spring stiffness over time 
and you notice that these metrics are sort of low, it means that you have great room for improvement and you can use Stride to monitor those improvements over time. Um, in terms of using running effectiveness, right now in the Stride ecosystem at least, and I'll only speak at it from the Stride uh, sort of point, um, it's not displayed because we don't have the support for it yet to you know, track the different um, types of workouts that you're running, it might be a very interesting thing to look at in the future. Uh, but right now, the way I'd suggest people use running effectiveness is to only compare running effectiveness from similar surfaces, similar hill grades, and similar paces. So if you are doing a 5k specific workout on a track, and week over week, you're continually targeting 5k power, you want to track the running effectiveness for that type of workout. If you're doing a long run and you have a pretty consistent long run, you can definitely track the running effectiveness there. If you are tracking your marathon races over time and the courses are relatively similar, you can absolutely do that. So um, that's how I would suggest using running effectiveness. Uh, this next question comes from Janez, uh, and I, I hope I pronounced the first name right. If I didn't, I'm sorry. Um, he says, I have a newbie question. I just started with running and I'm out of shape, overweight. I can run five kilometers and I did my critical power test. He said he did it twice. My zones came out so low that even with faster walking, I'm already in zone two. Should I just run with a very slow run, I'm in zone four, or do the walking, which is following the training plan? So um, he's referencing doing a critical power test and finding that your power is pretty low. And for some people, this is definitely the case. For some people, you might say, oh, you know, I did my critical power test and, um, you know, I, I, I'm still running, but I have to slow way, way, way down when I'm in zone one. Um, the answer here is is not a good one and probably not one that you want to hear. The answer that I have is that it depends. And it depends on your personal situation. Um, we had Jim Vance on the podcast a couple weeks ago and he talked about the practicality of run walk. Um, so alternating, at least on easy days, uh, four minutes of running with one minute of walking. And this will uh, bring your average down, but we're not necessarily worried about the average when it comes to an easy recovery day. We're worried about recovering. And so if you have the ability to uh, maybe transition to being able to run consistently and straight through, uh, starting with run walk is a great way to build up that transition. But answering your question specifically, if your zones come out so low that even with faster walking, you're already in zone two, I would suggest seeing how you feel by maybe giving one to two weeks of training following these zones. Uh, over time, your fitness will improve. Remember that fitness adjustments don't necessarily happen uh, with a snap of the fingers, a blink of the eye. They don't happen uh, you know, day to day. It happens with consistent hard work and consistent uh, you know, diligence and trying to improve over a longer period of time. If you try the sort of, you know, faster walking for your zone one, zone two, and you notice that after two weeks, hey, I can start, you know, walking a little bit faster even. I can start even slowly running, and that's my zone two now. Um, after you, you know, maybe test your critical power every couple of weeks, uh, then great. If you do a 5K race and you notice that 
um, you know, you enter it in your critical power calculator on the on the Stride app or the Stride site, and all of a sudden your zones shift up a little bit. Great, that's improvement. That's great improvement over time. But I would say is that if you are following a training plan and it is recommending zones based on a percentage of your critical power, and you are identifying that power on your watch or your phone, however you're running with Stride, stick with that for at least a little bit, and you might be surprised the improvement that you start to make. The thing that you might have been missing in a uh, training plan or a, a, a training suggestion before is that maybe you did need to slow it a little bit down on your recovery days, on your easy days. For your zone one, your zone two, that recovery type of zone, maybe you can benefit a lot more and your body will actually be able to recover and actually be able to adapt to new fitness gains uh, over time if you start following these zone recommendations. So for this, I would say um, give it a shot if you feel really uncomfortable with uh, walking solely for your exercise, when you think that, you know, I'm a runner, I need to be running, try run walk. If you can maybe start with, uh, you know, one minute of running, one minute of walking, building up to four minutes straight of running, uh, one minute of walking, I would really think that that would be a huge benefit if you find yourself in this same pattern of my zone one and my zone two are really low. I don't feel comfortable just walking. Maybe mix up a little bit of run walking. Uh, this next question here comes from Michael. He says, if you're coaching an athlete who's dropping weight, how do you maintain the athlete's profile to accurately reflect the changes? The power number on the watch is weight dependent, unlike a cycling power meter. This is true. Um, so a stride, you can adjust the weight in your profile in the stride mobile app. And this will affect how the power number is displayed on your watch or on your phone, however you're using Stride. There are two different schools of thoughts, and I'm, I think we might have talked about this before in a past episode, but two different schools of thoughts. Um, you can consistently change your weight if you have a fluctuation of more than um, three to five pounds, so one to two kilograms. Uh, if you have a fluctuation of more than three to five pounds, one to two kilograms, you can go ahead and change the weight, whether it's up or down, that's okay. And you can calculate your watts per kilogram. If you have a training plan that follows a watts per kilogram rating, you can do that. The other school of thought is that instead of always changing your weight, you can set your weight at something constant. So in terms of practicality, a lot of people use something like 50 kilograms or 100 kilograms, or you might say 200 pounds, you just keep it at a consistent measure. Um, and then over time, as you continue to improve, the power that you're able to output will gradually rise, but your weight stays the same. So yeah, two schools of thoughts here. Uh, you can change your weight, but you can keep track of your watts per kilogram. Stride does not do that right now in the ecosystem. Um, if you're listening to this in the future and it's been implemented, then hooray, it's been implemented right now though. Uh, Stride does not necessarily keep track of the watts per kilogram as a display. You can absolutely still divide that I uh, weight or the, the watts per weight in kilograms to give you that rating somewhere. It's going to be somewhere between two and six watts per kilogram generally, but for training specifically, uh, you can keep track of that by yourself over time. And that other school of thought is that you can just keep the weight at something consistent. I know a couple coaches really recommend hundred kilograms because it's very, uh, very nice round number. Your power will be a little bit higher if you don't necessarily weigh that weight. It'll be a little bit lower if you weigh a little bit more than that. Um, 100 kilograms will be about 
220 pounds uh, if you don't know the, the conversion. So um, those are the two kind of methodologies behind that. Um, this fourth question comes from Stephanie. She says, I'd like more info on adjusting power for conditions. For example, I run in a flat area. This morning, it's a lovely 65 degrees Fahrenheit and 50% humidity. But in a few weeks or days, it'll be 90 degrees Fahrenheit and 80% humidity. And at the end of July, I will run the hilly San Francisco half marathon at 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're talking about this differences in training, weather, uh, you know, as we move, this podcast is being recorded in very early May, as we move from just the end of spring into summer, into fall, you're, you know, you're starting your training block in spring, you're doing the main bulk of your training in summer, and then all of a sudden when it comes time to race, maybe in September, October, November, it has a chance to snow on the start line. So how do we even know where we're at? Um, she finishes off by saying, how do people set power goals for this kind of variation? Heart rate is easy because it rises with the temp slash humidity and you slow down accordingly. Power, I just die. Um, this is a uh, very good question, I think. We have a pretty unofficial calculator that I will make sure gets sent out with the email to this uh, podcast. When this podcast comes out, um, you should get an email talking a little bit more about this specifically, and we'll make a link to this sort of calculator that we use. Um, the, the thoughts here are that when you're reporting power, you are always reporting what your body is doing. Uh, when you're measuring off of heart rate, heart rate can have the external influences. We talk about it a lot on the show, but um, you have heart rate lag first and foremost. So it takes your body time to catch up. And over time, that heart rate will have an effect called cardiac drift, where over the course of an easy run or a race or a workout or a long run, no matter what it is, that heart rate will slowly start to drift up and up and up. That's just your body's natural response to uh, exercise or uh, putting out an effort. With heart rate, it can also be impacted, like you very well said, Stephanie, um, things like heat and humidity, hydration, caffeine, lack of sleep, there's all these things. But when you're looking at your power, it will always report what you're doing. Um, on its face, that is correct. But day to day, your body's ability to handle that power output might be different. And this is where um, a very useful uh, calculator or uh, you know adjustments come in. So the uh, first thing in this sort of calculator is, yes, entering this temperature and entering the humidity. There's going to be different uh, factors for that. The other thing that needs to be um, entered into that is the elevation of your race. So let's say you're coming from uh, Boulder, Colorado, because that's where we're located. Um, and you're coming down to the Boston Marathon. You normally train at about uh, 5,400 feet above sea level. Sea level, let's say, um, you know, right about 1,800 meters above sea level, and you're coming all the way down to sea level in Boston. And you're getting ready to run a marathon. You know that when you train at altitude, you can't necessarily um, output the same power that you can at sea level because there's a reduction in your power just because there's not as much oxygen in the air, there's a pressure differential. So um, you want to get a gauge of 
what you should target in terms of effort to be able to output when you fly to Boston, you run the marathon. Um, we include this in the calculator because it's important. If you normally live at somewhere below, you know, 300 meters above sea level, let's say a thousand feet above sea level, uh, there's not that much that you need to include in terms of an elevation factor there. Um, the other thing is that let's say somebody lives uh, in a very, very high place. Let's say they live at about uh, 3,000 meters above sea level or they live about 9,000, 10,000 feet above sea level. They're going to have a very uh, big swing in terms of uh, power when it comes to training versus race day. So that's another factor that we include. Um, you can also include, uh, if you're trying to get a time approximation, uh, there are other calculators out there. I just want to cover the full scope of the subject. Um, so you have a realistic idea of what you can be able to accomplish and be able to target if you're looking for a specific time as well, because this comes important, like this is a very important thing when it comes to racing, is you say, I want to run sub sub 330 in the marathon, but I know that this course is hilly, so I'm going to factor in this overall elevation gain. These are in separate calculators, not necessarily the, the same one that we're, we're going to be um, linking with this with this podcast episode. So um, the main things to look at here are the, uh, you know, the temperature in Celsius or Fahrenheit, the humidity level, um, and then the elevation of the race. And we'll be able to have sort of an approximation of what we should shoot for. The one caveat that I have for this is that, uh, again, it's not going to be an answer that everybody likes, but it's a imprecise science and everybody's different. There are tons and tons of research studies and tons and tons of uh, examples of people responding different to different temperature and different humidity and different elevation or altitude changes. Some people are great at training at altitude and then they come down to sea level and they have a great race. Uh, namely, if you see um, pretty much anybody winning a world major marathon, chances are they're training at altitude. Um, you know, usually like 90% of people are coming from somewhere in East Africa in the Rift Valley in Kenya or Ethiopia, and they're training somewhere above 7,000 to 9,000 feet. So they're at, you know, 2,500 uh, meters above sea level, all the way up to 3,000 meters above sea level. And they get these great adaptations and then they, you know, fly to these sea level marathons like Berlin or Chicago um, or London Marathon. And then they have a great benefit because they have adapted. Other people don't have those adaptations necessarily. Um, other cases are people being, you know, really susceptible to heat and having an influence during a race or during training. Some people just cannot train in heat and that's totally okay. You wake up early, you know, you stay really hydrated, you pour water or ice over yourself when you're doing your training runs. Um, and then come race day, you still just don't have a good race because you're not very heat adapted. But then some people are really good at running the heat and it doesn't really bother them that much. Um, the same goes for humidity as well. So that's kind of a uh, negative. If you live up at altitude or high elevation, you don't really have as much high humidity to train in. But if you're in the Midwest or you're in the South um, or you're pretty much anywhere except really high elevation, you know what it's like to run in very, very humid weather. It feels like you're trying to suck air through a straw. And, you know, the second you press the start button on your watch for your morning run, anytime, usually between July and August, 
or June and August, um, you're already sweating by, by, by the time you, you press the start button on your watch, even though the sun isn't up yet, it's just very, very humid. So the more you train in these environments where it is very humid or very warm, your body will adapt over time, but everybody adapts differently. So the main reason I wanted to bring that up is that this uh, calculator that we'll share will have a option to input your, the, you know, the humidity and stuff like that. Um, this is definitely something that Stride is interested uh, at looking at over time, but we don't have, you know, the support necessarily for it right now to give you an approximation, but this calculator is that next best thing. But the one caveat that I want to say uh, is that everybody responds differently to these different training uh, stimulus. And so you should be mindful of that, that we, we can kind of lock down that range a little bit more than we could without these resources like this calculator but um, everybody will respond differently and as you get more data points as you get more races and training experience you'll be able to tell for yourself over time what you respond to if you know that you know you run really well when it's under 40 degrees but you run pretty bad in terms of race effort when it gets over 70 degrees fahrenheit um, i don't know the exact celsius conversions off the top of my head i'll work on that for uh next time but um you should be able to use this uh you know kind of information overall to help improve your overall uh you know training and racing approach over time um i want to th those are all the questions that i wanted to dive into fully i wanted to just address the people that commented on the facebook post because i really appreciate it um Lubos asks uh, more tips about training for trail running in hills and running ultras with stride. We'll talk to a couple um, trail runners and ultra runners in the future uh, about stride specifically because I'm really interested in people that have had, have had a lot of success in terms of racing and training on the trails with stride. So we'll get the, their personal stories in the future. Um, training tips for other the other three categories on the pyramid and the improved tab. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Um, and then in terms of adding ultra marathons or trails as a focus in your settings, we'll talk about that in the future. Um, Darren asks how to use other tools and apps with stride. Um, I think that is very interesting. That would definitely reserve itself as a future episode. Um, Sam, this is a very interesting, uh, question that I think we need to do a couple more studies with, and we need to get a little bit more information. Um, and he asks about using stride to evaluate differences in individual form and running efficiency in different shoes. Um, very, very interesting. We'll have to do a little bit more research. I don't feel comfortable necessarily putting something out there that we might have to retract immediately because it's not 100% right. And we want to make sure the things we're talking about are right. Um, Ian Berman asks uh, about the improved page of Power Center, which we'll talk uh, more about if it gets an update later on down the road. I don't necessarily want to date this episode by specifically just talking about uh, the functionality of the improved tab. I want to talk about the core concepts behind it. Um, another kind of interesting thing that we will have just a little bit down the road is talking about uh, the top 10 most efficient in terms of pace generated by watts per kilogram, stride runners, what do they have in common, cadence, stride length over height, form power over total power, leg spring stiffness per kilogram, miles a week, percent of training in various zones, other, it would be a fascinating discussion. I agree fully, Ian. Uh, this is definitely going to be something that we're super excited about uh, talking about a little bit down the road. 
Jeff Patterson asks uh, to teach us sometime about form power and the best ways to minimize this loss and to convert all one's output over effort to running power. Some coach has to know the secret sauce on this, winky face. Um, great question. Again, Jeff, uh, I think that form power on its own deserves a complete other episode. Ken Grimes asks about a stride for dummies or just beginners. Um, we will have a little bit more information on this. We're currently in the final steps of writing kind of like a, like a basics. If anybody does have general questions like this or a stride for dummies, quote unquote, uh, stride.com slash guide G U I D E is a great resource. I realize that some of the things are a little number heavy and tech heavy, but it's a great place to start in terms of resourcing. Uh, Emanuela asks about calibration and more data on using barefoot. We will have to throw our shoes away and start running more barefoot to give you some more data in the future. Uh, Heather asks for a Stride 101 as well. Um, she mentions that hers was set up at an expo, but now she doesn't know what to do with the info it gives you. Um, Heather, first, I would recommend listening to episode three of the Stride podcast, Understanding Power Meter Metrics. It's a great, um, a great sort of explanation. Uh, Wolfgang asks about a weakness, uh, or I guess a follow-up on a previous announcement, talking about a weak spot detection. This is still on the roadmap for the future, um, but we don't necessarily have a timeline for it. And then uh, I answered the other questions here. So that wraps up this episode. Uh, I wanted to cover you know, just some general questions because we can continue to pump out more and more content in terms of training topics and interviews and, you know, discussions. But I'm really, really curious about what the Stride listeners are thinking and what questions they have. So if you do have anything, please feel free to send questions to support at stride.com. Uh, you can also uh, leave us a comment on social media and we'll try and include that as well. Um, but for now, this was this episode. I'd, I'd like to definitely do one of these every couple months just to kind of answer more general specific questions. Um, but please keep an eye out for the email that comes out with this podcast as well. Um, we'll see if we can post a hard link to it as well on our social media channels just so you can get an eye for that calculator we were talking about. Um, otherwise, yeah, feel free to leave us any of the questions you have in the future. For now, this was another episode of the Stride Power Podcast. My name is Evan. We'll be back next week with another episode of the show. Thanks so much for listening. We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, we're about to get up to, I think, 25,000 total downloads. So that is super cool for me. I'm uh, glad just one person finds uh, any sort of value or takes time to out of their day to listen to this show. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you.